Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Support for today's show comes from Google Play. Did you know that you can download and listen to audiobooks on Google Play now? That's right. With hands-free listening using Google Assistant or Chromecast, you can enjoy thousands of titles a la carte and there is no subscription necessary. There's even multi-device integration across the Google ecosystem. And for a limited time, you, Book Riot Podcast listeners, get $10 off your first one by visiting g.co slash play slash book riot. That's g.co slash play slash book riot for $10 off your first audiobook. Find your story with audiobooks on Google Play. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 276, recording on Thursday, August 30th. I'm Jeff O'Neill, here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. We're here on the right bat day and the right bat channel. I kind of don't know what to do with myself. And the publishing news gods gifted us with something for late August, which will take up probably most of the show today. Just just an unexpectedly juicy week. Oh, so good. Um, But before that, we have a survey for you. It is... Well, what, so the point of this survey is what? Tell, the, tell, tell the us The point of this, this survey is for us to just learn a little bit more about the folks who listen to the show and who read bookriot.com. Mm-hmm. So this is not exclusive to Book Riot Podcast people, um, but we're wondering what kind of genres you're into. I think there's something about whether you listen to podcasts, so obviously you can answer <laughs> you yes, would say yes for that. to that. You're good there. Um, just collecting some data about who the Book Riot audience is so that we can do a an even better job bringing advertisers that are relevant, relevant and creating content that's relevant. So go to mm-hmm. bookriot.com slash fall survey to participate. It'll take you like five minutes. Help us with a couple of things. One, what kinds of content we should be making, you mm-hmm. know, writing for the site, podcasts, other things like that, newsletters. Also helps us with advertisers, so we know what kind of books and stuff you guys like more than others. I know you like all books. Don't don't at me. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the better the ads are, the better the results for advertisers. We can keep doing this stuff. And, you know, the better experience you'll have of listening to a show because, you know, might actually hear about books and genres and products that uh, you're interested in. So help us out. Bookriot.com, fall survey. There'll be a link in the show notes um, there. Well, let's do a sponsor before we get into the, you know, the A section because the, the 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 whole front page is one story. Oh yeah, um, it's Good weird because there's actually no news. Like nothing actually happened. Oh, but we're the, gonna the book world is the same except it's not. Everything is different. Let me do our first sponsor. It's Nobody Real by Stephen Camden, published by Harper Collins. For years. Marcy has been hitching a ride on the train of her best friend Kara's life. Now there's only one more summer until they're off to college as planned, but Marcy has a secret, and and time is running out for decide what she really wants. Thor was also Marcy's friend before she cast him out, and time is running out for him too, but Thor is not real, and that's a real problem. This is the story of a teenage girl and the return of her imaginary friend, and we guarantee you've never read anything like it. 
So the author, Stephen Camden, is a renowned spoken word poet. He performs as Polar Bear. And it's told, this story, Nobody Real, is told from an alternating point of view. And it has, just as a little hint, I don't need to spoil it, it's more of like a flavor. Mm-hmm. It has some Inception-like qualities. So if you've seen Inception, you might get a, a sense of what that might be. Things aren't exactly what they seem, except they are, except they aren't, I guess, is what we're trying to say here. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's a little bit of a... Um... You know, a mind foxing. Yeah, a mind foxing. Mundus inversus, as they would say. The world turned upside down. That's Nobody Real by Stephen Camden from HarperCollins. Go check it out. All right. So we thought there might be other shoes to drop in this this case of the Barnes & Noble CEO getting canned for cause with this weird stipulation that we've talked about on the sh- we talked about on the previous episode where he got canned his name was Demos Parneros and they said it wasn't for anything financial but they were also firing him with cause which is for- there's not many things left there right like yeah it said violations of company policy right and we wondered i think i think if we didn't wonder it aloud i certainly wondered it internally if, uh, if if Demos was going to sit quietly mm-hmm. about that, I wouldn't. I'm, I mean, unless, unless he really did something real wrong and it makes it worse to sue. Well, turns out he is suing. He um, is indeed. So <laughs> basically, his suit. There's claims in his suit indicate that I'm reading from the story that'll be in the show notes that his relationship with BNN Chairman Lynn Rizzo began to sour after an unnamed book retailer withdrew its offer to buy the company in June. According to the complaint, the retailer withdrew its offer after completing due diligence. Following the collapse of the deal, Riggio, according to Parneros' complaint, felt he no longer had a graceful exit from the company. I guess him meaning Riggio. Mm-hmm. Riggio also believed, per the complaint, that the only way B&M could survive was if he stayed on and ran the company, he being, again, Riggio. Um, after the deal fell through, Riggio became hostile. Parneros, the complaint states, adding that after the deal fell through, Riggio stopped communicating with Parneros and began giving direct orders to other members of BNN's executive team. Okay, that's where okay. we're going to come back to that. Do you yep. want to talk? So that's kind of the meat of, I, I think that's the meat of Parneros' claim, but then Barnes & Noble respond. You want to take this so, part? Th- I mean, so this whole thing is yes. so interesting. Parneros, part of his claim also is the defamation part yes. is that the nature of his firing, these announcements Barnes & Noble made that he was fired for violations of company policy. So the nature of the firing coupled with the current employment environment and really just what's going on in culture right now yeah. left the public to assume he was guilty of sexual harassment. Yes, He denies that that's the case. And I know we wondered aloud if that was it um, at the time or if that was one of the things that he was being let go for. So he's saying that that's not the case. The big juicy reveal is, of course, Barnes & Noble was trying to sell the company and the deal fell through. And so then Barnes & Noble responds saying that this is quote, nothing but an attempt to extort money from the company by a CEO who was terminated for sexual harassment, bullying behavior, and other violations of company policy. So now they're going past their euphemism about just violations of company policy and talking about the specific policies. And now it's Parneros' word against Barnes & Noble's Mm. word about what those things were. And Barnes & Noble then says, allegations contained in the complaint about Lynn Riggio are replete with lies and mischaracterizations. They're an example of someone who, instead of accepting responsibility for blatantly inappropriate behavior, is, is lashing out against a former employer. So 
Wow. It got real. The gloves all came off at once. Yeah, we went from gloves to to like fighting with our bloody, bony, exposed hands. Like in one, <laughs> like there was no gloves. Like <laughs> right. we went from not fighting to like, like scratching each other's eyes out <laughs> really right, the, quick. That escalated quickly. Um, you don't see a statement like this from a company very often. You don't. Th- in relation to a lawsuit. Do you? Or maybe I'm... I, I, I haven't. Well, we don't see them yeah. in publishing very often. Right. Um, at least that... I have been trying to untangle my response to this for so long, like for or for the last couple of days. Parnero's saying like this is defamation. You allowed people to assume it was something that's untrue. Then Barnes and Noble rolling out with it was for this thing. Right. Like that feels like, okay, they must have documentation somewhere. If they're saying this is why he was fired, I assume that there is documentation of this somewhere and that they probably have more information they could trot out. If they mm-hmm. wanted to, this is a shot, a very big shot fired of, oh, buddy, we will talk about. We've got the receipts. Basically. Right. We have the receipts. Yeah. We're going to we will talk about this if you're going to drag it out there. But the like the strength of the language here to defending Lynn yeah. Regio is almost so strong that I wondered if they protested too much. Um, if that part mm. of it is a little... I, I have questions about that because we have heard other things about Lynn Riggio possibly being a micromanager, and there have been sort of rumblings about whether the inability mm. of Barnes & Noble to keep a CEO for any meaningful amount of time in the last several years has had to do with Riggio either not wanting to bow out. So that part about Parneros's suit that indicates, you know, that Ligio, that Lynn Riggio couldn't see a graceful exit, decided he should be the one to stay on and then became hostile to Parneros, I think is at least plausible. Like yes. I'm, I am willing to believe that that part occurred. Um, and then I also kind of don't know if that matters at all. Um, when the really juicy thing is Barnes and Noble maybe almost had a, a buyer. Mm-hmm. And who, who was that? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's multiple readings of this. The, you can be ungenerous towards um, Parneros. You can be ungenerous towards Regio. You can be generous towards them both or ungenerous towards them. But like mm-hmm. you, you've got, you know, it's one of those, multi, there's common combinations. Yeah. I'm in the camp right now. I think of being ungenerous towards them both. Yep. It's kind of where I'm, coming down on this statement about this basically the response barnes and noble gave to the suit is bringing new information public which is who was terminated for sexual harassment right Mm -hmm. so if if parneros is suing because of the implication basically saying it's implied the implied you know reading between the lines people will understand that i'm being fired for sexual harassment which is defamation well the truth is a defense in a defamation or libel right. or slander case right because if they say you know what you were sexually harassing people he can't say you were implying something that wasn't true you're just not mm-hmm. saying the truth bullying behavior and other violations of company policies if that were the case if this is true then parneros has wildly misplayed his hand didn't understand like why would yeah, he bring the suit in the first place that's the real head scratcher is if barnes and noble has the receipts yeah. and fired him for misconduct including sexual harassment and bullying behavior 
doesn't he know that? And what made him think they weren't going to talk about it? Like, are there multiple NDAs here where he violated yeah. one by filing this suit? So Barnes and Noble was like, well, we're going to violate ours too, or, yeah. or it's no longer, you know, you violated your NDA. So we're no longer obligated to keep our end of the deal. This, it feels to me like that could be what's going on. Right. Here. But it very, right. I very much had the moment of like, well, what did Parneros, like when I saw the Barnes and Noble response, I was like, well, what did Parneros think was going to happen mm-hmm. when he filed this suit. I don't think he expected them to roll out with a response that confirms that he was let go for the reasons that he is claiming to be upset people right. were assuming, but that aren't true. Yeah, either the statement is very good for Parneros or very bad, and very bad in terms of they have the receipts and they're being brought to light in which the, his defamation case is groundless, or it's very good because this is now more fodder for the defamation case right like <laughs> this is like this is this is more defaming than the firing mm-hmm. at least as publicly um uh, made available so uh, it's it's going to be really interesting to see i think i think for the, for discussion purposes what's most interesting and i think maybe plausible is this is all true mm-hmm. like what parneros is saying about Reggio and yeah. what barnes and noble is saying about parneros I think there's a chance that's all true. Th- that could fit this narrative mm-hmm. and that what we see here is a basically multiple miscalculations that Barnes & Noble didn't think Parneros would fire, would sue and that Parneros didn't think that Barnes & Noble or, and Regio and like it's a little bit hard in this press release to just draw a distinction between Regio and Barnes & Noble because a lot of it feels like very personally defending Regio, not the company itself. Yeah. Um, that he think they wouldn't want to get in a public slap fight and just settle for 10 million mm-hmm. bucks or something to make it go away. So there could be, you know, a micro battle in the larger thing here. So uh, Parneros's individual fate and whether or not he was terminated for sexual harassment is interesting, but less interesting to me. And I think to both of us, than this little nugget about Barnes Noble was close-ish to mm-hmm. getting sold to someone. Yeah. And that someone was a quote unquote book retailer. And that that book retailer bowed out relatively late in the process of doing the due diligence. Now, we we could quibble about what this could mean, and you and I have – we haven't quibbled. <laughs> we sort of like, what are the possible readings of this? Like, what could be right. true about – how can this statement be true in various incarnations that are not that interesting? Because it sounds – what the way that Parneros is making it sound like is they got close to selling the company. It didn't happen because of due diligence – Regio got mad, blamed on Parneros, and let him go. Mm-hmm. It does. It's not a good look for Barnes and Noble if that's true, and they're claiming sexual harassment for the firing yeah, because then they said they were going to be okay with the sexual harassment as long as the right. the company got sold. I don't well, know. That's the, that's a weird reading. I don't know if that's true, but that's a possible interpretation. A little further down in the Publishers Weekly piece, the so Publishers Weekly piece, if you're looking in the show notes, which will have links to all of these, um, was reporting about Parneros's suit. And they say that um, at a July 2nd meeting with Reggio and Scott Barche, who is an attorney, um, Parneros was told he was being fired for violations of the company's sexual harassment policy for interactions with an executive assistant, as well as mistreatment of the CFO. And Parnero says that the incident with the executive assistant was an innocuous less than five minute conversation about vacationing in Quebec. So could be like on on that reading, and as I have thought about that, it could be that Parneros g- genuine, like, genuinely does not believe that whatever he said in those five minutes about yeah. his vacation was sexual harassment, but that the executive assistant perceived it 
as Mm -hmm. such. And perhaps that's really the argument that he's trying to have is this thing that I did isn't sexual harassment. And Barnes and Noble was like, well, per our policy and for reasons of the policy, for reasons of CYA, for reasons of what's happening Mm -hmm. in culture right now, we have, we're going to fire you for this. But it, it, it's, I think completely believable and possible that it happened in the midst of gross interactions with Lynn Riggio Um, that like Riggio could have been behaving in this way that if these were two women, we would be describing it as catty, you know, like, basically giving him the silent treatment and communicating to give direct orders to other people around him. Um, Like that could have happened. It could also be that Parneros did something that he, that he thinks was not bad or doesn't, you know, qualify as actual sexual harassment, but like clearly, (laughs) clearly something is wrong in this relationship. Um, And in the way this company is being run, especially if, as you were saying, there was the, any possibility, which we're just speculating, but if there was any possibility that the sexual harassment thing and the firing wouldn't have occurred if Barnes & Noble had been sold. If the deal had gone through and Riggio had been able to exit, would any of this have come to light or Mm -hmm. not? Yeah, or was it a case of... um you're spoiling for a fight with someone Mm -hmm. and it's whatever last dish was left on the counter. That's actually not about that dish. I don't know. But the more, let's get to the fun part. Yes. You ready? I'm ready. We did a little of this in the internal company Slack because there's nothing more fun than speculating about what to do with other companies' money. But I've got a (laughs) list of five candidates. Five. Okay. Five that, you know, I, the five in my mind, most likely candidates could be this mysterious book retailer that was, Mm -hmm doing their due, at least got far enough to do the due diligence. And usually due diligence can mean a lot of different mm-hmm. things. I'm assuming they, you know, because you could look at, Barnes & Noble is a publicly traded company. You can look at their financials. Due diligence usually mean getting access to information that's not publicly right. available in a different kind of way. Showing right, there's been all some kinds of kind stuff. of conversation between the yes. potential buyer and Barnes & Noble about how it would work and what kinds yeah. of info they would need, yeah. So let's say that this was at least reasonably serious, it was mm-hmm. more than, you know, going to an open house that just happened to be down the street because you want to see what the kitchen looked like. You know, a little bit more than that. You're actually thinking about what the taxes are, you know, to use right. the Right, done in method. earnest. It was done, done in, in earnest. earnest, right. You, may, you didn't have a down payment, but you, you were maybe interested if, if it looked right. I've got five, okay? Hit me. So you want me to go from the, mo- the, the most interesting to the least interesting or vice versa? Ooh. I th- let's start with the most interesting, and I work our way down because you know, I'm really curious about... How about likely? About, likely. Let's, sure. Because I think okay. they're all interested. I'm all having right. a hard time. Likely. Yeah. Let's start with likely. And uh, then I'm, I'm cur- I am the most curious about what number five is. Yeah. <laughs> but let's well, start with number let's, one. I'm going to go... You want to start with three, Jeff? Let's start in the no, middle. No. I'm going to go from least likely to most likely. Because we're, we're going to have more to say about the end, end ones, I think, is where, we're gonna, where I'm going to end up. Okay. All right. I think one that was bandied about that's interesting but unlikely... And I'll tell you why. And you can tell me if you agree or disagree. Is Indigo. I think that's the least likely of my five, hmm. which is the Canadian retailer um, that has about 200 bookstores in Canada, 93 large format stores, then about another 123 smaller format stores. Um, they also run chapters. And we know that they're interested in making a, in, in the U.S. market. I don't know if this store in New Jersey is open yet. It was supposed to be this fall. Have we heard? The Indigo uh, store? We have not. We haven't heard. If you know, other than I that, haven't. please email us yeah. at podcast at bookright.com. 
And so the idea would be here, well, if you want to get into the American um, physical book <laughs> market, how about buying 600 Barnes & Noble stores, which is that's how many there are. It makes mm-hmm. a certain degree of narrative sense. But in terms of looking at the size, basically Indigo would be buying a company three times larger just in terms of store placement, store locations than they currently are. And we know that Barnes & Noble assets – it's having a hard time. So that, that thing that's now three times bigger than your existing business is also a little bit troubled. And if I'm Indigo, I'm just not doing that. I'm going to do the thing that they're doing, which is try it out. I don't want to buy 9 billion cows when I want to have one cow sort of see how it does. Does that make, what do you think about that reading of Indigo? I think Indigo is maybe slightly likelier than you do because they wouldn't have to keep all 600 locations. Okay. So, I had considered, well, Indigo knows how to put together, like we've looked, we've talked on the show about how beautifully put together Indigo Mm -hmm. stores are and how they have multiple departments and they've figured out how to sell things that aren't books to people who are book shopping, but make that still feel like a book centric, lovely experience in the way that Barnes and Noble, I don't think has ever figured out how to do sidelines elegantly. Mm -hmm. Um, That if they bought it and they didn't keep all 600, they could keep, you know, the select, close a bunch of the ones you don't need. Don't spend that money. Um, But you bring in like basically remodel the existing Mm -hmm. spaces that you're keeping using what Indigo knows about doing retail in that way. Functionally, it would be giving the Barnes and Noble stores a facelift. Um, more than anything else and trying to make that facelift result in additional revenue. Um, but I do agree that just out the outright notion of buying a whole company yeah. that is several times larger than what you already have um, seems like a risk I would not take. Like, I don't know how would Indigo do it. They'd have to take on debt. I mean, cause Barnes and Noble is on a market cap basis larger mm-hmm. than Indigo. So yeah. even if you thought the Barnes and Noble business was a viable one, if you closed half the stores, Shareholders aren't going to be like, yeah, we'll give you a fifty percent discount on the on the on the stock price. Usually, in a takeover like this, you've got to pay a twenty percent premium. So, I just don't see how. Mm-hmm. Like that's why I say the other side of the transaction makes sense, but I just don't see how Indigo could actually physic- How could they buy the company without yeah. really putting the whole company in jeopardy? When we were talking about it offline, if Ind- if it was Indigo, I would put dollars to donuts on it being Barnes and Noble approaching indigo of hey are you interested and that's really like the biggest question that i have about this is what direction the interaction like where the interaction with the potential buyer initiated is barnes and noble quietly shopping out Mm -hmm. to try to find someone to acquire them or was this a company that's looking to pick up a bunch of bookstores which make i think makes the answers to who it was more interesting and also easier to get down to. But I could see if Bar- like if Barnes & Noble is circling the drain, they're like, ah, oh, maybe somebody at Indigo. And if mm-hmm. you're the CEO of Indigo, you're like, well, that could be interesting. We should at least look into it. And that's how you get to the point of doing due diligence. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. My next... So my, that's my least likely of the five. Now, my okay. next least likely... Um, again, the caveat that these have to be at least marginally classifiable as a book retailer, right? So I can't, I can't mm-hmm. say uh, Sears, something like that. Uh, books a million. Uh huh. U.S. second largest bookstore chain in the U.S. Uh, Two hundred and sixty outlets in the U.S. So they're bigger than Indigo. They're already in the U.S. They compete with Barnes and Noble. So you could see. You know, you could see the argument. Like, all right, if the if the market leader is in distress and we can pick them up. Let's do it. Problem there, 
again, my most, I, I did a little homework, Rebecca, can you tell? I can tell because I was unprepared for you to have a list. 2014 annual revenue for Books A Million was $474 million. So for a retailer, you know, the market cap is usually, I don't know, one and a half to two times. So they might have a, they might have a billion dollar mm-hmm. market cap. It's a private company, so we don't really know. But I'm just saying, in terms of the the fine, what, what would it take for them to buy it? I think they'd have a little more resources. They know more about the U.S. market. Um, there'd probably be some th- easier things there. I still think they're just too small. To, that it's too big. It's too big of a bite of uh, hamburger for this mouth. I, I just don't see how they could do it. I just don't see it. I is that? Do you think that are they more or less inter- likely than Indigo? I hmm. think they're less interesting, but more likely. Is that fair? I agree that they are less interesting. Yeah. I'm gonna, Books a million stores are not that interesting no, to me. No, I think they're and like as a company, as what they could do to Barnes and Noble stores, it's a lot mm-hmm. less interesting than what Indigo might do. the The potential there, I think, is lower and less interesting. Yeah. I think they're about equally likely or unlikely, as it were, since these are at the bottom of your list. Mm-hmm. the The company Books a Million was acquired by its chairman Clyde B. Anderson and his family in 2015. This is not a chit in Books a Million's favor for only $21 million. Mm. I don't know how that happened. Um, that's not a very high price. So I guess when that acquisition happened, maybe that's why this this inf- this information I have available is from 2014 because maybe it was public or something then. But their operating income at that point was only $5 million. So <laughs> I just don't see how they can do it. Again, 600 stores and the e-commerce, you know, BN.com and the readers and everything, it's just too big. Yeah. It's yeah. too big. All right. Now okay. I'm in the realm of people that, it's weird. We do a huge jump to people who really couldn't to for some of some that would be kind of a rounding error. Mm-hmm. Um, my third most likely Walmart. Okay. And and you think Walmart is reasonably classified as a book retailer? That that's that's my fudge. <laughs> I mean, probably. Here's a question: Who do you think sells more books? Indigo. Or Walmart? I don't know the answer to it. I'm just saying, like, if you told me Walmart actually moved more units than Indigo, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised by that. But by, um, so, like, if if Parneros in yeah. his claim is citing another book retailer, yeah. I think that's the math I'm trying to do is, like, where, what kind of... How how mm, noises? What percentage? <laughs> <laughs> what percentage of a business needs mm-hmm. to be book sales for someone who's running Barnes and Noble to consider that business to be a book retailer that they've yeah. been talking to? Let's say for Jeff's argument that it is qualified. I mean, because you're right, we okay. could absolutely. I, I'm not sure. I disagree that Walmart should be on this list, but I'm willing to entertain the rest yeah. of the thought experiment. <laughs> I mean, Walmart. We all know what Walmart is. It's a multi-billion-dollar company. Like it wouldn't take that much. They operate way more stores. They already sell books. The argument here is, I think the finances make more sense. I think the story makes less sense. So it's like kind of the converse Mm -hmm. of Indigo, where why would Walmart do this? Right. We saw they had this deal with Kobo about eBooks. They already sell physical books. I guess what you would do is you get a whole bunch of customers right away that are book selling maybe a little more upscale in terms of the demographic, in terms of demog- you know how much money, I'm, I'm assuming, I could be wrong about this, that your average Barnes & Noble 
um, customer is more affluent than your average Walmart customer. Actually, this gets back to something we have about follow-up about Walmart selling ebooks here in a little mm-hmm. bit. So maybe in the great war with Amazon that Walmart is in, some of it could be, well, let's make sure we lock down these book customers and also maybe make sure that number two on this list, Jeff's list, doesn't buy Barnes & Noble. <laughs> you know, so maybe someone could be defensive. Like, we, It's not so much that we want this, but we really don't want this other person to have it. Yeah. I'm, I just don't think Walmart should be on this list. Okay. But if I can see what, I can kind of see what Walmart would be doing for all mm-hmm. the reasons that you listed there. They would be getting a potentially more affluent customer base. They would be getting people who are specifically interested in buying books as opposed to people who stumble upon the mm-hmm. Kobo um, book gift cards in the, in the like electronics aisle or wherever of a Walmart, but they the last thing Walmart needs is more physical locations in yeah. like suburban America right. um, where Barnes and Nobles tend to be located. And this is just my use case, but for every Barnes and Noble I can think of in the greater Richmond area, there's a Walmart within like a mile. Mm-hmm. Um, so would they do they need that space? Yeah. Um, I can't get over the notion of Walmart actually as a book retailer. Like they sell books, but I don't think that Parneros would have called them a book retailer, but I'm going to set that aside. Either. Well, you're assuming for them, I mean, you're so you're saying everything in a statement is 100% true and accurate. I mean, just just to put that out, just to put that out there. Exactly with with well, a with an exactitude so why, that I guess no. But why is what's the motivation to modify it with book retailer when you could have just said selling to another retailer? Or had a seller had a potential or had a potential buyer, then it fell through. Like those are words that aren't necessary. So how they ended up there, I think. Yeah, is I guess I would say why have anything other than a potential buyer at all? Like right, I mean, exactly. I call it a like, retailer. It's weird. It don't, yeah, that, right. That That's what I mean. Weird, like, he, yeah, like he could have said a, a buyer. They could have just said a retailer, but that it's as specific as book retailer. Yeah. I think means something. Okay. Well, let's move on then. So number two, the second most likely buyer is the big A, Amazon. Second most likely. Mm-hmm. Likely and interesting. I think both both of these things are, well, is it more or less interesting if Amazon buys Barnes & Noble or if Indigo buys it? Boy, if actually, you know what? I take that back. <laughs> it's wildly more interesting if Amazon buys Barnes & Noble, just for the 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 uh, crap storm. Yeah, of, just for of what comment, Just for the online, the content mm-hmm. would be fantastic. But <laughs> Oh, God. But in terms of like the actual thing, I think Indigo, so Amazon subsuming its largest competitor is not that interesting. Indigo saddling up and saying, clearly, we are the big, we're moving, we're, you know, there's only room for one of us in this town <laughs> in Tombstone, Arizona kind of a deal mm-hmm. is interesting. I think also Amazon has the money. We just saw them buy Whole Foods. Like if before they bought Whole Foods, I'd be like, ah, this is not really Amazon's game to buy physical retailers, except they just did that. You know, it's, it's always mm-hmm. not the game until you do the first one. Um, Amazon has been opening bookstores. I think it would be a real sign of no confidence in its own retail experiments to buy Barnes and Noble. Um, I don't know why you would buy Barnes and Noble if you're not just slowly killing it. Like, why pay seven hundred and fifty million dollars for this thing you have under your boot hill? I just don't see it. The, the yeah. thing I guess would make sense is you just it just speeds up your physical retail. You're, you're buying for you're, you're paying a premium for speed. 
guess. Right. And for acquisition, I think ultimately of more Amazon Prime subscribers. Because Barnes and Noble, you do have a dedicated customer base that pay, I think, $25 a year for for a membership that gives them discounts basically just on books, maybe on some other Barnes and Noble purchases. So these are people who are willing to pay a premium price to get discounting on something. What if you snapped up all those stores and all those Barnes and Noble memberships and you were able to convert those people to prime customers who got discounts on their books and on everything else that they might buy from Amazon. Um, Really, Mm -hmm. really interesting. I was reading... Oh, what was I? Something recently. Oh, it's the opening chapter of the automatic customer, uh-huh. <laughs> um, which I've been revisiting for some work things where they interview. Wink, uh, some, wink, nod, nod. Uh-huh, okay, yeah. Uh, some Amazon employees who were behind the development of Prime and talking about like really what they wanted um, in launching Prime was to get people to like in offer, like yeah. really what they want in offering free shipping is just to get people to subscribe to Prime because then they can sell them all kinds of other things. Um, And that was a lot of the conversation around Amazon buying Whole Foods was like, well, they're just going after affluent customers to get to sell them Prime memberships. Because once you get them into Prime, they're incentivized to buy a higher percentage of their everyday items from Amazon than from Walmart or Target or the mom and pop store down the street. Mm -hmm. So I think Amazon, you know, they clearly have the, the resources, they have the strategic motivation or are they i guess i don't know they're in the same space i think from a strategy point of view it could make some sense but there's something about it that just feels like a non-amazon move Mm -hmm. you know buying an asset in decline is not really an amazon move yeah i think that as well and that like whole foods is appealing yes and you could understand like why People sat around in boardrooms at Amazon and were like, oh, it would be interesting oh. for us to get that. But yeah. I think if for there are many reasons, but if for no other reason than like Amazon's collective corporate ego, like why would they want to publicly say we think Barnes & Noble is an asset? We're going yeah. to buy it. Right. I mean, the other thing about Whole Foods, too, is like Bar- Amazon already knows how to order and distribute books. Where a giant grocery store chain, the supply chain and you know all that stuff is stuff they did not have expertise in. So sometimes you buy expertise and knowledge that you don't have otherwise. I just don't see any additional thing there going. Okay, so then my, I think most likely, and I could be biased because I think it's the most interesting, so maybe therefore I think it's the most likely, kind of one of those chained um, probabilities, but Rakuten, mm-hmm. which is the parent company of Kobo, which is a giant... Japanese commerce conglomerate, you know, think of it as as the Japanese Amazon. We know both from working with them, full disclaimer, directly with advertising sales before, what we've seen them do in Canada, um, this deal we just saw them make with Walmart, Mm -hmm. maybe maybe even the best example of why this might make sense, that Rakuten is trying to make inroads in Amazon, in America writ large against Amazon, and this is a ready-made physical retail space you re- rename all these things, kind of almost make Barnes & Noble buy Rakuten or buy mm-hmm. Kobo or buy Kobo Rakuten, whatever, yeah, whatever crazy branding they want to go with. All of a sudden, these are book buyers. They're premium book buyers, people that buy things at street prices. You know, they're affluent. They, 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 they live in suburbs and they drive SUVs and they'll order stuff online. I think it makes a lot. Of, they're, they're a $10 billion company in market cap. They could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if I were them, 
it's probably a gamble worth taking. If you're ever going to take on Amazon, I don't think you're going to do it by like trying to get people to type in Rakuten.com versus Amazon.com. Right. You got to make a splash. And if it failed miserably, Rakuten doesn't go out of business. They're still right. alive. So that, I, that's my that's my checklist. Yeah, I agree. I think it is the best possible bet that Rakuten could make by acquiring an existing right. book business in the U.S. to actually try to make inroads. Like this thing with Walmart is interesting, but I don't think that that's how you that that that's the road to mm-hmm. Rakuten or Kobo becoming a real competitor with Amazon in the space of the yeah, U.S. book right. market. Like, it's interesting, but it's not the bullet. Like You it's might a, pick up some dollars, but you're not going to get market share. In, in right, yeah. You're going to get something, but you're not, you're not getting a big enough chunk of U.S. book buying when you go that route, especially e-book buying. Um, Rakuten Kobo have had a long running, like for several years now, um, Kobo devices have been available in independent bookstores. They have a partnership with the American Booksellers mm-hmm. Association. You can purchase ebooks through independent bookstores to read in your Kobo device. Like that's how indie bookstores are selling ebooks is through Kobo. And so they've got experience selling to US readers. There's like a dedicated small core. They own overdrive, U- right? I mean, right. Yeah. yeah. Of US ebook readers who are using Kobo and are familiar with it. But you know, indie bookstores are what five six percent of the book buying market. If you want to go big, you have to literally go big. And right, Barnes and Noble offers ready-made um, customers, dedicated book buyers with all the Nook business. It's people that are you know willing to willing and interested, used to reading on eBooks. Um, I think that just makes a ton of sense. And they're not now unfamiliar. Like Rakuten is a huge company. They're not yeah. unfamiliar with partnerships with other enormous companies. Walmart is. Like if after you've made a deal with Walmart, I imagine walking into a boardroom with someone from Barnes and Noble is like, <laughs> no well, joke. you know, we got this. <laughs> like at least we're not scared now. Um, yeah, I do think that that's the most likely and would have would be would have been really interesting to watch what would have happened. Any other candidates that I missed? I mean, I couldn't come up with another one that's mm-hmm. even remarkably. Again, it could be this could all be fud, fear, uncertainty, and doubt from Parneros. It could be a garbage and. The the maybe the the book retailer net was not narrower than we thought, but even wider. Like anyone that cared, like right, Costco maybe it's Costco, <laughs> right? Yeah, Costco. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, could you reasonably call like Baker Taylor and Ingram a book mm-hmm. retailer? You could. Oh. Mm-hmm. I don't think they would do this for yeah. a lot of reasons, but you could make that argument. Right. Yeah, I think you could, but I think it's unlikely that Parneros would have called them book retailers for the purposes of this yeah, statement I, I just don't see it yeah. um so th- that's my five if you've got another one that i forgot we forgot podcast at bookride.com also if you've got a pro or con for any of these five podcast at bookride.com i would really like to hear it um from you guys well we didn't well, we didn't we did not misunderestimate <laughs> the time we were going to spend on we're that. gonna have to get cooking here um, yeah tell let me, me about tell you our next sponsor this week is from book riot it is the read harder book log from us at book riot and abrams notary this um i have worked on this for a million years and i'm really <laughs> really excited to finally be able to talk about it it's a smartly designed reading log that consists of entry pages where you can record your stats impressions and reviews of each book you read and then interspersed across 
across the entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by our annual Read Harder initiative, which started in 2015 to encourage readers to pick up passed over books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. If you have been doing the Read Harder challenge with Book Riot, you may recognize a few of these challenges, but many of them are new just for the book log. If you haven't heard of this at all, but you're looking to expand your reading life, the Read Harder book log would be a great way to do that. It'll ask you to read a book about books, to get a new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant, to find a hidden gem by reading a book that was published by an independent press, and many other things. Each challenge includes an inspiring quotation, an explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding for your reading life, and five book recommendations to help you fulfill the challenge. So you're not like out there on a limb trying to figure out how to do this reading life expansion all by yourself. Um, It's a beautiful little book. It's a great gift for readers or for yourself for any time of year. This is not like the pages aren't connected to specific dates or a specific calendar year. So you could start it at any time. Go to bookriot.com slash read harder journal to check it out. It's officially in pre-order right now will be available on sale on the 4th of September. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, okay. uh, I mean, this is the silver lining to the Nobel debacle, mm-hmm. which is the, I don't know, the appearance, the emergence of the new Academy Prize in Literature for 2018, which you might call the anti-Nobel, you know, the, the basically trying to, Nobel, the alternative yeah. Nobel sprung up to give an award um, in literature the 40, for, there were 47 nominees. We got the four finalists. Here, Barry, you're bearing the lead, O'Neill. Mm-hmm. We got the four finalists. So 47 authors were nominated by Sweden's librarians, and now the world has voted, open worldwide. And the four authors are in the final run for the new Academy Prize, which will be selected by a jury. So we went nominations, votes, jury. So it weirdly kind of went from a smaller pool to a wider pool to the smallest pool. I don't know mm-hmm. if that means anything, <laughs> but I thought it... Uh, two names probably familiar to most of you and probably two names that are less mm-hmm. familiar to most of you. Um, I'm going to go in order from most famous to probably least, at least as I would, my, my mental model of world literature. I think, oh, well, this is interesting. On a I'm, world stage. I'm wondering which one you're going to say here. Yeah. On a world stage, do you think Haruki Murakami or Neil Gaiman is more famous? Mm, more, well, I think Neil, well, mm, Murakami. Final answer. Isn't it? I think so too. I think so too. I, I'm, I don't. I could be wrong about that. But um, both Murakami and Neil Gaiman uh, nominated. Um, I think Gaiman would be the first author you could reasonably call a genre author. If you mm-hmm. count this as a Nobel, right? Right. So that's what's interesting about if you say this is a Nobel quality or, or caliber prestige level prize, uh, then Gaiman's presence as a genre writer is interesting. It needs no introduction, I think, for our listeners. Um, but, you know, comic yeah. book writer, science not, fiction, fantasy. Um, I'd say not you know. surprising as a function of his popularity and how no. beloved he is. But no. yeah, would, is an interesting addition. I'd be shocked for Neil Gaiman to get the actual Nobel Prize. I wouldn't be shocked here. No, not at all. No, no, but not, not here. All. But Murakami, there's there are like pretty consistently rumblings every year that this yes. might be the year that he wins the Nobel. Um, so that 
I think we've accepted or agreed in the like greater literary community that his work is of that caliber that we're kind of expecting him to win it sometime. I have to like, confess, I'm kind of privately hoping he'll win this. And then next year when the Nobel Prize gives two, he'll get one of those as well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've long hoped. I mean, again, we have availability bias because you've only read the authors you've read. But I've long hoped Murakami um, would win, I think, certainly deserving um, as, mm-hmm. as you know, not like anyone who wins a Nobel isn't deserving. I'm not making right. that argument, but like. You know, I, I would feel good about that choice. Um, the next two, probably what less well known that I could be wrong, Marise Conde, um, who I know because she was teaching at Columbia while I was there. I didn't have a class with her. Um, she now lives in Guadeloupe in France. One of the Caribbean's most outstanding authors, 20 novels, very, very highly regarded. I'm um, a good read, too. Mm-hmm. I think the one I... Hmm, the, I've read Segu and Crossing the Mangrove. I think I would recommend Segu um, of those two. Those are the two I've read. I haven't read them all, but if anyone's looking for a heuristic to go try to check one of those out. Um, uh, uh, and, and the one, I have to admit, I haven't heard of the fourth author, Kim Tae, um, from born in Vietnam uh, and has grown up in Canada. Short stories primarily is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, born in 1968, um, and she left Vietnam as a boat refugee. Uh, so I'm going to pick up one of these volumes, I think. Yeah. Uh, her her most famous collections are Rue, R-U, Man, M-A-N, and V. I think that's how you say those. I did a little work. I could have gotten a bad source on those. Um, but those are our four finalists. Uh, interesting lineup. Yeah. I think, I guess I'm surprised. I don't know who I was expecting. I guess I didn't see, I didn't pay too much attention to the nominations, but just from a the internet gets to vote situation. Mm-hmm. I'm pleasantly surprised by this list. Pleasantly surprised is exactly the phrase I was going to use. I'm pleasantly yeah. surprised that there's a genre writer represented. Yeah. Not surprised that it's Neil Gaiman. Really pleasantly surprised that of the four finalists, only one of them is a white man. Yep. Um, the original list of 47 authors that were nominated was I th- relatively diverse. Um, but... What if we had done this voting just in the U.S. as happens yep. like, with Goodreads every year, at or the, the end Great of the American year. Read by PBS, right? Frankly, or the yeah. Great American Read. Even if the Goodreads voting starts with a diverse mm-hmm. list of nominees, the function, like the function of those authors' popularity and how they get votes in Goodreads Choice Awards, ultimately ends up meaning that most of the winners are white writers, and many of them are white male writers. So that this is happening outside of the U.S. reading community, I think mm-hmm. is an important feature um, that readers, the readers who participated in this, I assume many of them from Europe and from Sweden um, who are invested in the future of the Nobel and in this act of resistance that the new Academy prize Mm -hmm. has declared itself to be are reading more diversely and thinking about literature on a broader world stage than we're coming to in the U S. So I thought that was very exciting to open up this page and not just see like, Oh, well, it was a popular vote and it's all yeah. white people. Yeah. I I mean, regression to the mean suggests that Gaiman or Murakami will win, at least assuming that my mental model of how the relative popularity of these four authors, maybe I'm, I'd, I'd be thrilled if I was way wrong about that, you know? Uh, but that's what I would expect. Now, maybe they'll mm-hmm. split the people voting for the most popular writer and one of the other... Uh, one of the women well, will emerge. I well, don't know. no. So the final winner is selected by jury. Oh right. So, yes. right. I'm so sorry. Popu- I'm glad right. this screwed so up. I'm popularity. Up. Yeah. Popularity so won't any have anything to do with it. Yeah. In, in in that way, I think it's not Gaiman. 
yeah, I don't think Neil Gaiman's getting this. Um, I'm going to hope for Murakami. I would like to see him take home the new Academy and the Nobel. Yeah. That would be a nice one-two punch. Um, but really, it would also be cool to see Conde or Kim Twe, who um, I like, I, and I'm coming from the limited perspective yeah. of being a reader in the U.S., much less familiar with. But if if my reading happens to be correct that they are less well recognized on the world stage winning something of this stature would be great that's a great way to have your work elevated and extended out to a wider audience so um, neil gaiman doesn't need another prize like not that he's not deserving but something like this i would like to see it go to somebody who's um more of a you know what i'm saying yeah no i mean (laughs) i i think uh i have as a fan i think i like Murakami's writing a little bit better than Conde's, but I'm pulling for Conde. Okay. If that makes sense. It does. Though she's emeritus, she was a professor. In a way, the one where you get the biggest boost, I think, uh, Tway. Mm-hmm. So maybe, no, I'm, I'm pulling for Tway. Okay. Uh, having read not one of, weirdly, <laughs> the one I haven't read a word of is the one I'm pulling for. I can be happy for her as well. Yes, I'll be happy right. for any of these. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just also really happy to see that this isn't a list of four that are all expected future Nobel winners, you know? Well, like, oh, all four. Okay. You're right, okay, right. Yeah, like more yeah. like that it wasn't like, like Marilyn Robinson gets batted around uh, as a potential Nobel Prize winner, right. but that it wasn't like Murakami. And Rushdie and, right. uh, you know, Ursula, well, no, Ursula is dead, but like uh, Atwood, mm-hmm. you know, right. again, people would be happy for, but. Right. You know. This isn't, this is a different list. If we're going to be different, let's gotten. be different. Right. Exactly. They yeah. seem, the new Academy seems to be living into their mission so far. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool to watch. Fascinating. Okay. Right. Let's do one more sponsor and then we'll, we'll wrap up with, I don't know. You can pick. Think while I'm doing the sponsor, you pick. Okay. All right. This episode is sponsored by Sadie by Courtney Summers, presented by Macmillan Audio. If she dies, she takes the truth with her. That's the slug line. Sadie hasn't had an easy life. Growing up on her own, she's been raising her sister Maddie in an isolated small town, trying her best to provide a normal life and keep their heads above water. But when Maddie is found dead... Sadie's entire world crumbles. After a somewhat botched police investigation, Sadie is determined to bring her sister's killer to justice and hits the road following a few meager clues to find him. When West McRae, a radio personality working on a segment about small forgotten towns in America, overhears Sadie's story at a local gas station, he becomes obsessed with finding the missing girl. He starts his own podcast as he tracks Sadie's journey, trying to figure out what happened, hoping to find her before it's too late. So it's like, if Serial was about an unsolved case where the primary investigator was the sister of the girl that they're trying to figure out what happened to. That wasn't in the liner, but that's, I'm giving that to them for free. So that's Sadie by Courtney, Courtney Summers. available on an audiobook, other places too. And link in the show notes, you can try a sample right there in SoundCloud and Embedded. It's really cool. Um, thanks to them for sponsoring the show. That's Sadie by Courtney Summers. Okay. Where would you like to go? Do you want whimsy or heroes of the week? Shinsky's choice. I, I just like <laughs> your choice. I had narrowed it down to good feelings. Yes. We, I had mixed anything that was going to give me bad yeah. feelings. You know what? Let's go whimsy. We'll talk about heroes next week. Okay. Sounds good. The Toronto Public Library has a bedtime story hotline. That's just wonderful. 
It's called Dial a Story. You can call in at any time, so you don't have to be going to bed. They're not going to like tell you it's noon lady what are you doing Mm -hmm. maybe you just want to be comforted the stories are available in 16 different languages the phone number is 416-395-5400 and like that's it you dial the number you tell a a robot which language you'd like to communicate Mm -hmm. in then you choose whether you'd like to hear a story for younger children which is up to just seven or older children from age seven to 12 or i don't know 35 and an actual human voice reads out the bedtime stories to you so you know i don't think you have like a live human who's to you at the moment they're recording it's a but, phone tree. I mean, oh, don't add us, but come on. Mm-hmm. Let us live in the joy and the mystery for a minute. Yeah. The writer of this piece from um, that we'll link in the show notes said, the one that I just heard about a Canadian cowboy who tries to become a fisherman was narrated with aplomb by a man named Ken Roberts. <laughs> so this is geared towards kids, but... Any reader, I think, could enjoy it. Lots. I just think this is a delicious, whimsy thing. Like, they don't... The the Toronto Public Library doesn't have, like, a revenue-driven reason to do this. They're not getting extra, you know, circulation numbers for people using the bedtime storyline. It's just one of those cool, creative things that librarians do. Let's do do it because we can. Yeah. As a service to their communities, this is whimsy that the world needs right now. I appreciate it. If you would like to call in and receive a bedtime story, the link is in the show notes. Do you Please think let it's us know. actually a robot? Like, I feel like, isn't this just like one of the, again, I, I want to well, quibble just for a second because I like the <laughs> mental image of like you're, a robot picks up the phone <laughs> and like then like pulls off the shelf like the record and like drops it in. <laughs> you tell it like an AI. Yes. Well, I mean, it's like calling customer service, you know. Right, right. It's like when you, right. Like it's like, you know. Are you calling to make a new reservation or to change an existing reservation? And the thing on the other end knows how to interpret your voice. If it doesn't have metal arms, it's not a robot, Rebecca. (laughs) I agree. Let's let's assume that the Toronto Public Library has a robot answering. I'm going to try this. The kids and I are going to do this this week. Please report back. Yeah. Um, That's our show. Yes, it is. We want email. We want email. Quibble. Argue, agree with our non uh, non agreed non non agreed upon list of the five most likely candidates to be this rumor. Is I mean, Walmart really actually up. a book? We're retailer. doing it because we like it. We're doing because it it's interesting of our candidates to go through. The other thing you might tell us is if 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 Barnes and Noble had to be sold, and you got to decide mm. who bought it, listener. Tell us who that could be. And you could get creative. You could say something like the ABA. That'd be interesting. Oh, boy, what a crap storm. I was just be. about to say that. <laughs> um, but it would be interesting. It would be. Uh, you know, if you've got some other idea, tell us what that would be. Uh, podcast at bookwrite.com. Also, I'd like to hear about these new Academy finalists, mm-hmm. especially um, anything you want to tell us about that. Uh, let us know. Podcast at bookwrite.com. I'm just going to keep sending our email address until you sort of. <laughs> You, you've been primed to... Except priming is not real, Rebecca. <laughs> I know, Jeff. We talked about this yesterday. <laughs> I know, but we haven't talked about it. We, we don't do the Better Living Through Books thing anymore. We haven't had an outlet that the, the priming effect uh, it doesn't work. We can't do subliminal messages and stuff anymore. <laughs> I'm really sorry that your mellow about priming got so harsh. <laughs> Here's a question I have for you. Oh, no. How do you run an experiment to test the repeatability of experiments? <laughs> Did I just blow your mind? How do you know it's repeatable? Are you high right now? My hands are so big. <laughs> My hands are huge. 
for those of you who don't know, um, the the psychological experiments about priming have largely been discredited to the point that our fave Daniel Kahneman even had to say, if I had to do it over again, the chapter about priming in Thinking Fast and Cl- Slow a might not even been included, but B substantially revised and softened. Oh boy. Really, that's the headline story of my life, right? That story. Right <laughs> Priming's now. not real. This Priming's is your, if you real. ever get a tattoo, that's what it is. Priming's not yeah, real. Yeah, that, that would be a very mean. <laughs> be so sad. And oh, well. All, All right. right. We got to get out of here. Show. Let's get out of here. We'll talk to you guys in September. Woo! Have a good one. <laughs>